want to introduce you to our pastor on this very special day, Chris Meekins. Thanks, Benny. It's good to see you. Okay, so if you went to your mailbox um, and you opened the mailbox and you got a letter and you opened the letter and you saw that it was from a law firm and it had all the, uh, you know, the stuff at the top that made it seem official. Like it, it, it had all the official letterhead and everything. And you go and you're gonna, okay, you start reading the letter and the letter basically says that a distant relative that you do not know had passed away, sad. And this distant relative had passed away but for some reason, this distant dead relative had, le- had given you millions and millions of dollars as an inheritance. My question to you is this, what would you think? What would you do? What would you think? What would you do? Now, if you're like me, you would be skeptical, right? You'd be like, okay, maybe this is the latest Nigerian prince scam. I love those guys, by the way. Uh, how many of you ever got a letter from a Nigerian prince? Uh, I have, and I love going back and forth communicating with them. Um, I invite them to Pack City. <laughs> like, you just got to get uh, a green card, and you can come over, and we'll talk about some of this gold you have. I love those scams. I love scams. Um, but I would be skeptical, and let's be honest, you would be skeptical too, but let's be honest, honest. If you got the letter from the attorney with the letterhead, let's be honest, you'd look into it. Why would you look into it? Well, the offer is too great not to look into it. There's too much at stake, millions and millions of dollars. You have to look at it. You have to look into it. And you see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just like that. You could be skeptical, but the offer is too great. The offer is too big not to look into. Why? Because this is not some vague promise of some afterlife. We're talking about what does the gospel offer? What does the resurrection offer? It offers a new body. It offers a new perfect world where everything is renewed again. It offers that you get to walk together with all of your loved ones as you walk together with God. And I don't, how, I don't care how skeptical you may be, you can just not look into it. You have to look into it. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk today about Easter. It's the resurrection of Jesus. And there's two aspects, I think, that are really worth looking into. Uh, Are you ready? You want to do this? You ready? You ready? I love it. I love all these faces. Let's do it. Uh, Aspect number one. And by the way, if you have a little handout, there's a little fill in the, you can fill in the blanks and make me feel, it's really for me to feel good about what you're doing, like you're paying attention. I want to feel like you're paying attention, so you can do that. You can follow along. You also follow here, here. Uh, So why do Christians believe the resurrection actually happened? Well, the resurrection was actually confirmed by eyewitnesses. According to the scriptures, there were eyewitnesses who actually saw Jesus risen from the dead. Now, did you know that, uh, you know what a police person is? Like, you know, the police. You know, detectives, okay? You ever hear these people, detectives, they investigate crimes that are gross? 
And uh, historical, like different than them, there's historical investigators, people that look into the validity of historical moments and all that kind of stuff. Did you know both detectives in police departments and historical uh, investigators look for something interesting? And maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't. They look for something and it relates to the eyewitnesses. They look for something called, ready for your first big term of the day? Criterion of embarrassment. Criterion of embarrassment. What does that mean? Well, they look for embarrassment from the eyewitness. They ask themselves when they're investigating something, does this eyewitness give us a very clean and polished story where they look really good and really cool in all the aspects, or do they tell a story about what they saw that has the potential to embarrass them? Does the eyewitness include details that could embarrass them or make them look dumb? Embarrassment in a story to a detective is a sign that they might be telling the truth. And in the eyewitness accounts of Jesus, when we dig in, when we look at this, we see that there's lots of embarrassing moments for the disciples and for Mary. We see that the eyewitnesses include details that don't make them look all that good. It gives an additional level of credibility to the story. So in the story that uh, Benny just read about Jesus and Mary and, and uh, there was, uh, who was it, John and Peter were in there, Mary Magdalene, Mary Mags, as we'll call her today, Mary Mags, she arrives at the tomb first and she sees that the body is gone. Now, when she sees that the body is gone, her first assumption is not that Jesus rose from the dead. Her first assumption is the body's been taken by grave robbers. This is bad news. And people at this time period think similarly to the way people think here today. Most people don't think that dead people come back to life. It's pretty safe to assume that when you're dead, you're dead. Because when you died, you don't come back and you stay dead. Okay? So at this point in the story, when she tells this to the writer of John, John, She's pointing out her own confusion and her own ignorance. So what happens? She runs and she tells Peter and John, they took the body. And Peter and John both do what? They both start sprinting towards the tomb. And I love this little nugget because it says that John ran faster than Peter. And John was the one that wrote this book. And he goes, you know what we're going to do, Peter, for you? We're going to include this little detail. Criterion of embarrassment, and just for all of time, 2,000 years later, people on Easter Sunday are going to know you're slow. <laughs> They're going to know you're slow. So John runs, he arrives early, but he's checking out the linens. He doesn't go in, and Peter comes all huffing and puffing. He's like, <gasps> and he runs right inside. He doesn't even, he bursts right in. And the text says that Peter saw, and eventually when John went in a few minutes later, John saw. Now, this word saw, this word see, is the Greek word. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible was not written in English or New King James Version. It was written in Greek. And the Greek word that's used for see here is theoreo. It's where we get our English word to theorize. And this Greek word basically means to observe something intently, looking for an explanation. And what we see is Peter and John are intently looking for an explanation for what's happened here. I mean, like they're trying to get an insight to figure out what's happening. They're looking around and they're like, well, wait a minute. Why did they leave 
if these grave robbers are so smart, why did they take time unwrapping the body from the body stuff? That's just gross. I mean, it's defiling. Ew, dead body three days, not a good time. So let's get that, let they unwrapped everything. And why did they leave behind the spices and the fragrances? That's the stuff that's valuable that can be sold at the market. And so when we read this, we can almost visualize Peter and John, they're trying to piece together what they're thinking, what's going on. They're furiously trying to figure it out. They're trying to piece together all these, uh, why there's a missing body with all these context clues. Something isn't adding up. And so the point of this is, A, they're thinking rational people, and B, they're documenting their own confusion. And I want to point this out because Peter and John both became fathers of the Christian movement. And to be honest, if you're going to be like the starter of a new religion, pointing out that you look confused is not a good idea. If you wanted to start a revolution and be at the center of the story, you're going to want to make yourself look good. And this doesn't. And the reason they're documenting their own confusion, the reason they're documenting their own wrestling is because they're trying to give an honest account of what had happened to them. They're willing to tell the story as it actually happened. And because they're willing to do this, this highlights a level of embarrassment and credibility. Are are you with me? Are we we all clear? Is this just mind-blowing? Okay, good. Uh, Now, a little bit more about Mary. I want to go back to Mary Mags. But before I do, we have to fast forward like 100 years, okay? So 100 years later, there's a Greek philosopher. His name is Celsus. And he sought to destroy Christianity. Uh, Didn't work. But uh, let me tell you what he tried to do at the time. Specifically, what Celsus tried to do was to discredit the eyewitnesses, the story that we just read. And one of his main critiques of the eyewitness accounts is that these eyewitness accounts could not be trusted, that these people were liars. You cannot be trusting them. And here's what his main reason is why you couldn't trust these eyewitness accounts. Get ready for this, modern Los Angeles. Are you ready? Are you ready? And this is a quote that you could not trust the eyewitness accounts because they were from a hysterical female deluded by sorcery. Boo, right? Oh, I know, I know. You know, a low amount of boo. Listen, Celsus lived in a misogynist time. There was a low status of women. In fact, women, um, sometimes their testimony wouldn't even be admitted into courts of law because women were second-class citizens. And it certainly wouldn't be admitted by someone named Mary Magdalene, who used to be a demoniac, homeless, schizophrenic, an addict, and a prostitute. We certainly don't listen to women like that, they would say. And women at this time were not equals, and the general public believed that they could not be trusted when it came to important eyewitness things. And so the logic of Celsus, the second century Greek philosopher, his main argument and the people, uh, and, and the, what the people around him held as common uh, truth is that you could not trust the eyewitnesses because they were women. And Celsus' argument at the time was the Achilles heel to Christianity. It is what he thought to be the weakest part of the eyewitness accounts. But... What do we see in the story? What do we see in this story? And what do we see in all four of the accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? 
all of the eyewitness accounts state that women were the first to see Jesus risen from the dead. And here's why this is important. Here's why this is important. This argument against the credibility of women in the resurrection, it hasn't stood the test of time. Love it, right? And uh, first of all, thank God uh, that there's been progress uh, and how Western society views uh, women. And Western society doesn't, they don't really think about women as second-class citizens. I'm, I just thank God for that. But second, secondly, uh, historians, people who study this time period, people who studied things in the first century, now conclude that these details, that these women were the first to see Jesus, they were the first to eyewitness Jesus risen from the dead, actually strengthens the eyewitness accounts. Because historians would say, they would think out loud with you and they would say, listen, if you're gonna make up a story about the resurrection, it's in your best interest because of Celsus' argument not to include women as the first to see him, not to include women as the center of the story because you would never put women as the first eyewitnesses. It would be unthinkable because nobody would believe you. Therefore, the only plausible explanation for the writers who took down and documented these eyewitness accounts is that the women that, that saw him, they had no desire absolutely no desire to make up or clean up the story from what it actually was, and they were simply reporting what had happened to them. And if you were to ask John, the writer of John, if you were to ask him, listen, why did you put women as the first eyewitnesses in the story? Why would you do that? People aren't going to believe you. They're going to second guess this. We're trying to get this message out here. He would likely say, well, why wouldn't I write that? That's what happened. Why would I make something up? You see, I don't want to encourage you to do this, but I am going to say something right now. Listen, I don't know how often you get into debates with people about the resurrection and the eyewitnesses uh, with people, but next time you're in that debate, uh, I don't know, it's fictitious, I know, uh, and they go, you know, how, how well, uh, you know, how can you believe the eyewitnesses? Uh, you should just say back to them, I don't know, because I believe women. <laughs> I believe the testimony of women, that women saw Jesus rise from the dead. Don't you believe in women? <laughs> you can do that, but you're just shaming them. And we don't shame people here at Pack City. But uh, <laughs> there's a small murmur. Anyway, the point is, the, the eyewitness accounts include unpopular details. They include their own embarrassment. They put women at the center of the story, stuff that was never done before. And this adds an additional level of credibility to what was happening here on Resurrection Sunday. But there's something else that you have to wrestle with here. Something else that you have to wrestle with here. And it's this. Why would you continue to tell a good story about a liar? Okay. Now, before and after Jesus, there were these people, and they were called messianic pretenders. And a messianic pretender is someone that claimed to be the Messiah, the deliverer, the one who would save the Jewish people from the Romans. There was lots of them. There's lots of messianic pretenders who came before Jesus, and there was lots of messianic pretenders that came after Jesus. And these messianic pretenders, what they would do is they would come along, they'd have a strong teaching, they'd build a following, they'd rise up in revolt, and then they would get killed. 
They would get killed and everyone would forget about them. And all of the followers from these messianic pretenders would go, whoops, I guess we made a mistake. Time to go back to the drawing board and figure out who the real Messiah is. And everything that the pretender believed and taught was completely forgotten because at the end of the day, he wasn't who he said he was. So why bother keeping the legacy going of a loser? And a few years after the resurrection of Jesus, the apostle Paul, he writes a public document to the Corinthians. And he lays out that the resurrection is public knowledge. And he says that, listen, you can go find these people. Most of them are still alive. And he gives you names, and he gives you towns where you can go find all these eyewitnesses. And he says, go, look, investigate, figure it out. And so what am I getting at here? So on the one hand, you have these messianic pretenders that everyone forgets all about. And then you see the story of Jesus, which is really, really different. It's different because dozens and dozens of years later, there are still hundreds and hundreds of people who claim that they saw Jesus alive, they believed that Jesus talked to them, and they believed that he had risen from the dead. Now, this is something that people had no concept of back in this time. Before Jesus, there was nothing in literature, historical literature, that talks about a resurrection. Jesus was the first in history to do this. So even if you don't believe in the resurrection, you still have to conclude that something happened to these people that had never happened before in history. Something that had happened, that had never been mentioned before in history had happened to these people. And you're going to have to answer the question, why would many of these eyewitnesses go on to die for a lie that they made up? I think that's a really hard question because even if you don't believe in the resurrection or even if you question the resurrection, historically speaking, you're going to have to come up with some kind of explanation for why these people were willing to lay down their lives for, about someone rising from the dead. If nobody around you believed that dead people came back to life, if Jesus was a messianic pretender who had died, there's just no reason to keep going. There's no justifiable reason to continue to promote the dead guy's teachings. There's no reason to, to promote and uh, build up someone who was a liar. Now, pause with me. Pontificate with me. The life of Peter. Remember him from earlier? He's super slow. He can't run fast. Now, Peter, Jesus says, come follow me. And Peter follows and believes. And then a few chapters later, he unbelieves. And then a few chapters later, he calls Jesus the Messiah. And then shortly after that, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan. Uh, there's like this back and forth, you know, uh, life. And then... Um, and then when Jesus gets arrested, Peter's like following him along. He denies that he ever knew Jesus at all when confronted by a middle school girl. Did you know that? He was confronted by a middle school girl, and he's like, I never knew a middle school girl, and I totally understand why he would do that, because middle school girls are mean. <laughs> Have you ever met a middle, middle school girl? They are the, whew, I, when we're in public and I see a middle school girl, I'm scared still. And I'm, and I, you know, I, I know you say, so anyway, I don't want to go any further into that. I'm just, they're very, they're very type, you know, whatever. So, and then, and then Jesus dies and rises again. And then Peter like believes again. 
eventually, later on, after Jesus ascends into heaven, we see that Peter is crucified upside down for his belief. Why couldn't he give it up? Why couldn't he give up believing that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, because Peter saw his best friend nailed to a cross on Friday, and then three days later, he had breakfast with him on the beach. It wasn't the teachings of Jesus that shaped Peter. It was the resurrection and Peter seeing it with his own eyes. The resurrection completely shaped his life and other people's lives so much so that they couldn't give it up. And most of them died terrible deaths to bring you this good news today. Now, many of you are here today and I don't know what your faith journey is, but I do know this. Sometimes you look at Christians and we think, well, we just got to believe. You just got to have enough faith. And some people think that Christians are just people like, you just make yourself believe. You force yourself to believe, even if it doesn't make sense. But I would encourage you not to take that route when it comes to Christianity. When we look at the verses I just read, we see doubt. We see confusion. We see room for weakness and questioning and uncertainty. And the reason this is important to you, I need to say this to you, if your Christian faith isn't with all kinds of questions or reasoning, it's just not going to work for you. That the power of the resurrection really makes sense uh, when you uh, are honest about your doubts and your questions. Uh, And your faith will not help you with the ups and downs of this world unless you're honest about where you are with them. Now, I would encourage you, wherever you are in this faith journey, I just want to say this, the entire basis of Christianity hinges on the eyewitnesses. And so if you're kind of uncertain today, that's cool. I'm glad that someone brought you and all that. But don't walk away from here and just trying to force yourself to believe that's my computer attached to that. Don't worry about that. We'll (laughs) give her that. Ding. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you're thinking and questioning and you're reasoning, I love it. That's good. So learn, investigate, question. I've only provided you with two eyewitness pieces this morning, but one of the things you can do is check out this really amazing book. It's written by Richard Bauckham. It's called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. It, uh, it, it offers dozens and dozens of examples similar to the two I just showed you, and it can help you grow in your faith. So if you're new to the Christian faith or you've been a, a Christian for a while, but you're like, I never really understood, how, how do we, why do we actually believe in the resurrection? This is a really great book. Um, The second aspect of the resurrection is this. Why is the resurrection important? Well, because the resurrection changes everything. Um, N.T. Wright uh, is the world's foremost New Testament scholar. Did I say that right? And so New Testament is the part of the Bible where they talk about Jesus and all the followers after Jesus. And um, he was in the back of a cab, and he's a bishop in the Church of England. And the cab driver finds out that he's a bishop. And the cab driver is being all cheeky. You know, they're in, they're in Britain, so they're like, hello, governor, fish and chaps. And uh, hello, do you want me to do the quote in a British accent or no? Yes or no? No? Okay. You do? All right, cool. All right, here we go. Here's the quote. Here's what the random cab driver said to N.T. Wright in the back. He says, the way I look at it, <laughs> if I got to stop. If God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, 
All the rest is basically rock and roll. What's he saying here? If Jesus rose from the dead, he's worth paying attention to. That if Jesus rose from the dead, what Jesus said about your life might be worth paying attention to. If Jesus came back to life, Jesus' big ideas for our lives might be worth trusting. So what is Jesus' big idea for your life? What is Jesus' big idea about God? What does Jesus say? He says that God is personal and that he loves you. That suffering is not evidence of God's absence. He says that heaven is real and heaven is coming to earth. He says that you are loved by God. He says that you are forgiven. And now because you're forgiven, you are now free to forgive and love others too. He says that we can experience the power of his Holy Spirit right now. That's what Jesus said. Let me riff on that last one, the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, he said that he would ascend into heaven. And he said, don't worry about it because when I ascend to heaven, I'm going to send you me in the form of my Holy Spirit. And he says that anybody who would ask for the Holy Spirit to come into their life and anybody who would welcome the Spirit of Jesus into their life, they would experience the power and the presence of God right now. And this is why 2,000 years later, there are billions of people all around the world sitting in churches in uncomfortable chairs, listening and worshiping 2,000 years later. Why? Because they took a step of faith. They welcomed the power and the presence of the living God into their life. And guess what? It worked. He showed up. It turns out it was real. 2,000 years later, billions of people have had a current personal experience with God that serves as far more credible than any of the eyewitness accounts. And now, you see, there's many people you and I both know and love. And if you were to ask them, why do you believe? And what you will find is that a majority of them aren't going to say to you, well, I read Richard Bauckham, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. <laughs> Duh. They would say, they're going to start talking, and they're going to be grasping for words, and what they're going to say is going to sound really simple. They're going to say something along the lines of, well, I don't know how else to say this, but I believe that Jesus rose from the dead because I believe he lives in me. And what are they saying when they say that? Well, they're saying that something has taken place in their lives. Something has opened their eyes. And that's not just a something. It is a supernatural power that the world had never seen before has opened their eyes and opened their eyes to a new reality. They simply know that they know that they know that God is alive and he lives in them. And I'm here to tell you today, I am one of those people. I am a witness to the resurrected Jesus living in my life. I stand before you as a modern witness of the risen Jesus. I am a witness to the power of Jesus in the life of my family. 
I have come from a family of addicts and abusers, and my mom and dad were radically changed by the power and the presence of Jesus and raised us four kids in a home that was completely different. So don't tell me that the power and the presence of Jesus isn't real because I watched it unfold in my own home. I believe I am a witness to the power and the presence of Jesus in my own life, how I was supernaturally pulled out of my own destructive path, my own foolish ideas, my own bad ideas, my own terrible way of thinking. I am a witness to the risen Jesus in the consistent levels of love and joy and peace and contentment in my heart that come from my personal experiences with God's Spirit. I'm a witness to the comfort of the risen Jesus, that my suffering has not been alone, that the Spirit of God has walked with me in my darkest hours. I'm also a witness to the supernatural healing of people. I know people. I can point them out to you. I can give you their name and address. They, were, they had a physical condition. Someone prayed for them to be healed in the name of Jesus, and they're not sick anymore. What, you, what, what am I supposed to do with that? Am I supposed to just shove that aside? I can't. I'm a witness to the power of the risen Jesus. And here's what I got to say, is that many of you in this room are the same thing. You are witnesses to the power and the presence of the risen Jesus. And the reason we believe is because we read these eyewitness accounts, but the second reason is we believe because we've seen God's power in our lives. We've seen God work in us and transform us. We've seen God's work in our lives. We opened the letter. We saw the letterhead. We followed up with the attorney, and it turns out to be true. We got the inheritance. We won the inheritance. It's true. And this, my friends, is the good news of Easter. We know that there is one who went before us. There's one who paid the price. There's one who paved the way. There's one who defeated death. And he says, come to me, draw near to me, experience me in a personal way. And I'm talking about the most famous human that has ever lived, that has ever walked the face of the earth, hands down, nobody beats him, nobody defeated him, nobody got the best of him. He's not a dead God, he's not a dormant God, he's not a distant God, he's the everlasting, ever faithful, ever-present God, the one who is victorious and reigns over all, the one whose name is victorious above all other names. I'm talking about the name of Jesus. Amen? Happy Easter. Why don't we all stand? We're going to sing one last song, and I want you to sing your hearts out. Uh, and as we do, I, I just... Um, we're going to pray and welcome God's presence once again. And um, there's some people here who would say, you know, I've never really encountered uh, God in a personal way before. And if that's you, um, you know, I just want to pray for you now. Um, and uh, also, um, we're just going to wait. We're just going to wait. We're going to pray. So if you feel comfortable, God, we, we invite you to be with us today. Uh, again, Holy Spirit, come. And uh, we uh, worship you because you are risen. We worship you because you're alive and you live in us. And so we welcome you here now. Come and do your work.